This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. for june 21st 2022 we are members of the voices of wrestling podcast network if you would like to subscribe to the show you can find us on any podcast catcher on the voices of wrestling feed or our own dedicated podcast feed you can follow us on twitter at open voice if you'd like to donate to the show you can click the link in the show notes it'll take you to our redcircle.com landing page no obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Mike Spears. Joining alongside, as always, my friend Case Lowe. And Case, we got a little bit of Okinawa flavor this week for the first time in a recent era. Uh, how, uh, how did the Riku Islands treat you? Well... Per usual, it made me wish I was in a place that I don't have access to. The Okinawa trip from the shows that we watched to the social media content that I saw looked absolutely delightful. Are, are you aware of Dragon Gate Wrestler's obsession with the A&W establishment in Okinawa? You, you know, I did not pick up on this. I did see the very sick bathing ape uh, outfit that uh, Dragon Daya had, and... The, just the phrase "bape dragon dia." Just you know, sometimes you get phrases that like bounce around your head and they just feel good. Yes, "bape dragon dia" is one of those. But A and W, I think it's maybe because it's maybe because of the military bases they have A and W with it, and it's not in the rest of Japan. Maybe I, I I would assume so. I mean, that's logical enough to where I have no counterpoint against it. But if you look at Jason Lee's Twitter from about three days ago. Uh, the boys of Natural Vibes are posted up at this A&W, and he was not the only wrestler that I saw posting about it throughout the Okinawa weekend. And looking at Jason Lee's photos, that's a tasty-looking burger. I'm into that. It looks like maybe there's an onion ring on top of a tomato on top of a uh, a little patty there. That's a nice meal. You know, uh, the fried onion ring, underrated a topping for a burger there. It, it, it's something that, like... It was nice to, uh, and just so everyone knows, the uh, subject of this week's episode is mainly going to be this Okinawa trip that was on the 18th and the 19th, shows on the network until the 25th and 26th. You, you, uh, the, the big thing was always you see the fan meet, and you would see the photos of them all in their uh, Hawaiian shirt bests. And this year, it feels like that we got a little bit more slice of life in Okinawa, and I really like that. Yeah, this was a a very relaxed weekend, both in terms of again the uh, what we were saying on social media, but then the shows that we watched. It was a good time. This is one of those weekends where 
if you're pressed for time, maybe you you listen to this show simply for the match recommendations and then you move on with your life, but you're looking to pad that spreadsheet. This is a weekend of shows you can skip. If you're a hardcore Dragon Gate fan, you enjoy the grimy Lucharesu subculture that is throughout a uh, 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 pulsating throughout Japan between your Michinoku pros and your Osaka pros and your Ryuku dragons. This is going to be a fun weekend. There's a lot of stuff that if you buy into this being a fun show in Okinawa, even from you sitting on your couch in America or Europe, wherever you're listening, there's fun to be had on these shows, but it was not a spectacular weekend full of spectacular matches. It was a fan service weekend for obviously the fans in attendance. And then also for weirdos like Mike and I, who really care about this sort of stuff. It was fun. It was not essential, but it looks like the wrestlers had a good time. And that is half the battle. Yeah. uh, You said fan service. And that's the thing really that people should keep in mind with this Okinawa week. And now that, we see it the, the this weekend is mainly booked around the fact that they will do a fan trips up to Okinawa or down or over to Okinawa and they're able to do like travel trips with this and it's bundled that way so the wrestling the vibe and everything like this it, it the they're taking it easy it's a vacation set of shows and i yeah it was a vacation vibe if you're someone actually case i know the perfect way to describe these how essential these shows are for someone who's listening to this case you ready for my scale i can't wait all right case think about your favorite photos of what uh, of the boys of course maximum just hanging out uh, you see the ocean in the background they're all in their hawaiian shirts case how emotionally important to you is that photo any photo of Mac, any photo of boys by the beach I'm into, that is a blanket statement that I'm going to stand by in or out of context. So, Case, you, you say you're reasonably emotionally invested in the photo. As much as a normal person can be invested in a photo of five Japanese men that I've never met before on the beach, that's how much I'm invested in it. All right. The more invested you, you consider yourself in this photo is how invested you'd be in this weekend. And that's how, and, and with that investment, you can basically determine if it's worth your time or not, if that makes sense. I follow. I follow. I, I would say this weekend is why when bar graphs are made about total monthly attendance in Japanese wrestling, why that is such a dumb way of looking at popularity, because this weekend does so much more for the Dragon Gate community than All Japan doing 300 in Kyoto or Noah doing Godford. I, I don't think they could do 500 in Osaka, but 500 in Osaka. Wait, this- Case, did you see what Noah did in Kobe? No, I did not. Pull up Pure Love. Can't wait. My fingers are too excited. I can't type correctly. Noah in Kobe, Sambo Hall, 800 fans. Hmm. Huh. What do we make of 800 fans at Kobe Sambo Hall, Mike? Either venue restrictions are completely out out in Kobe going on, something happened to make it happen, or it's a false number because the most attendance for Dragon Gate in their home venue has been 380 since COVID started. I will say I would fucking hope they can draw 800 fans with the lineup on paper that they have, uh, Matsukatsu Funaki versus Masato Tanaka title match, and 
a pretty loaded, uh, what is that, a 10-man tag main event? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't buy the number. I don't think with the restrictions in place you could put 800 fans in that building, but I, I would hope so with the lineup that they put out there. Yeah, I thought that was kind of a funny number. But yeah, the, the, this is a community vacation show. This is something that... It's the same reason why in Sapporo in May and December they do triple shots because it's how you justify it and it's the most profitable way for a company to do something like this. And that's kind of the guys that I look at these shows. It, it Was I clapping around each time when Gurk and Drive played? Yes, but I'm a sick person case. So, of course, I was going to. But, you know, it, it was just was like an enjoyable basically five hours of wrestling this weekend from dragon gate and that's as much emphasis as i would put on this week's stuff super short shows which was greatly appreciated so i think we're going to go through this with some highs and lows mike do you want to start off with your high point of the weekend so my high point of the weekend is kagatora and i thought that between the two dragon gate shows and the dragon dragon show which was actually a Riku Dragon Pro Wrestling show that was kind of, I guess, like the Hanshin battle in a way, but it was done in this. I thought he had the strongest weekend out of everyone because he, because in like his series of matches to build up the uh, Riku Dragon Tag Team title matches, I thought that they that they showed a different angle to high end. There was this match on the uh, six eighteen show with Natural Vibes, Jason Lee, and UT versus Binke and Kakatora that. I really enjoyed, and I think that is that there. The, it's not as much going with Yamato and his friends part two here, case. It felt like that, oh, these guys, because of their backgrounds, they're bullies, but they're technical bullies, and they're just like pe- like picking you apart there. And Kagatora kind of kept that edge throughout the three shows, and I really thought that he came away this week. And they gave, as we always say, case, when you give something to Kagatora, they can seek his teeth into, he's one of the top 50 wrestlers in the planet and they gave him something just for this weekend and we we're proved right just right again about Kagator. I, I largely believe historically speaking Kagator is one of the more overrated wrestlers just because he has that pocket of vocal fans that will say oh when he's on he's one of the 50 best wrestlers in the world or he's one of the 25 best I've seen 10 best at his peak and I've never really bought into that i think just because he is one of those rare exceptions on this roster where in drangate consistency is valued so much and you're exactly right kagator it's so easy to tell if he's bored or not in the same way that you can tell when sasha banks is about to lose a match and this is your chance mike to talk about sasha banks and put her in the seo of this episode so we get a nice little pop (laughs) so sasha banks obviously is someone who i think her ring style is a natural fit into the Dragon System case. So if Sasha Banks leaves WWE, Sasha Banks and Dragon Gate makes complete sense there. And, and I think Sa- I just Sasha just... Banks, if you look at her Tumblr, is actually a fan of Dragon Gate. So if you're a Sasha Close Banks friend fan of Akira Tozawa. Exactly. So if you're a Sasha Banks fan, you should be listening to this podcast because you will learn a lot about things that Sasha Banks learns from. Yeah, I mean it's something that, I mean, this is someone who loves Japanese wrestling. She flew on her own died to go train at Sendai Girls. And, you know, it just makes sense in, in a certain way. Uh, I, it, I, I'm I, getting a beep in. And, K- Case, hold on. Uh, it's actually a message I got 
it, it, it's from the president of the Leck Corporation case. I thought you were going to say the United States, but it's the president of the Leck Corporation. Go ahead. I'd love to hear this message. Yeah, uh, apparently he's just throwing this around here. Maybe a Klimpa Battle Royal where the winner gets a year's supply of toilet wipes and the next night will face Sasha Banks at Kobe World. I, we talked about gatekeeping last week. Obviously, I, I would like to gatekeep Kate Bush. When Kate Bush makes music, she makes it for 23-year-old white guys. If Sasha Banks takes a photo with the Lek Corporation sponge, we have to gatekeep the sponge. We can't let the Sasha stands have that. They operate, they, they, they own rather so much of the online ecosystem. We keep the sponge. Is that fair? Yeah, it, it is fair in case it's also fair to say is that since we've talked for a full minute about Sasha Banks, this is not a completely cheap SEO ploy when I put this in the show description and title. Yes, I expect to see Sasha Banks and uh, Sp- Sasha Banks to Dragon Gate question mark as the first thing in this title. And then after that, we can talk about Okinawa and A&W and all that sort of stuff. But to your point on Kagatora, in the same way that you can tell when Sasha Banks is going to lose a match, you can tell when Kagatora is bored. And I don't know why he was fired up on these vacation shows to work as hard as he did. But you mentioned the match on 618, which a lot of people seem to really enjoy that UT and Jason Lee versus Ben K and Kagatora tag match. I thought his best outing was actually the match on the next show, the 619 afternoon show that was Kagatora, Kaisuke Akuda, and Shuri Joe against KZ UT and Jackie Funky Kamei, who got the shit beat out of him. I don't know what Kamei did to Okuda, Kagatora, and Shuri Joe, but they targeted this guy. And I I like how Kagatora's got a little bit of an edge to him. I mean, is there do you see a pipeline within the next, say, three years before he fully gets phased out? Is a Kagatora heel turn something you would have any interest in? I would buy that sock immediately. Wouldn't that be I, kind of fun? Because I don't, has it ever happened? You would know better than me, but I can't think of a time unless it's like the Jimmy, like Warpaint Jimmy stuff. But uh, even then, I think he was positioned as the face to Tanazaki's heel. So real hazard into deep drunkers. Okay. Well, yeah, basically right through basically this into the lead up of Blood Warriors. He, he actually came in kind of as a heel when like he came in from the cold with that. But yeah, no, Kagatora. Uh, you know how I always go on about how Zebrax at six, that's kind of light. And we felt that on these shows because Diamante didn't make the trip. It, it, having someone like Kagatora and Zebrats just instantly, like right now, I think it's a perfect move for both parties. It's the best thing for Kagatora because he has a little bit of an edge there. And there is well over a decade of him being a babyface. And you get to have a guy and an Z brats that can eat pens, so it's not always going to be Hio one way or another. I understand why, and I think that was 2017 that he made the turn, why they turned Yasushi Kanda heel, and they had him join R.E.D. after the disbandment of the Jimmies. But there's a parallel universe where they turn Kagatora instead, and that is is so much more interesting than the Conda turn because Conda was a legit pushed commodity, like Bravegate champion heel in 2018. And Kagatora and was, was awful. Was, yes. I mean, a real low point at times. And that's, you know, 
why I always, you know, on, on some slow weekends, I'll fire off the Dragon Gate Network, and I think, well, God, you know, it, they've got all of the 2017, 18, and 19 Infinities on the network, and I just think, you know, it's it's been a while since I've watched some of this. I'd like to fire it up and see how some of the stuff holds up, and then I look at a card from late 2017 or 2018, and I go, okay, never mind. All right, let me, let me go to a Google Drive real quick and fire up some Dragon Gate action there because there's no point in watching this. Whereas Kagatora was in the mix. I mean, also a Brave Gate champion in 2018, and I think that would have been so much more interesting. Heal Ata and heal Kagatora being able to play off of one another is something that I would have really liked to have seen. So I hope before that he's totally phased out that we get some sort of heal run from him. Yeah, and uh, it, it's just something that like he, his a little bit of instant chemistry with Shuri Joe throughout the weekend was like a nice thing. Like you brought Shuri Joe. Uh, I I I guess. It's easier to talk about the Riku Dragon contingent as a whole when you like you add in talking about Ultra Shoki, uh, uh, Gurken Mask, Hibiscus Me, and I don't think I think those were the four that really showed up. Uh, this weekend, I you could tell at least from like Soki, I would say a lot better use of the guys rather than being plugins. It felt like that the Riku Dragon people were used and took advantage of the opportunity over the weekend. Yeah, Soki in particular had a very solid lineup of guys. He was in a fun six-man tag the first night where he didn't have to do a lot of work. He wrestled Minorita on the first show of the second day in what I thought was a super fun singles match of just the biggest man on the roster versus the smallest man on the roster. And then they, they turn the tables and they have him wrestle Shimizu, big guy versus big guy on the final show of the weekend. And I thought all of those were really fun appearances. I know in Fukuoka, he, he had some highs and some lows here for him. It was a, it was a pretty steady line of entertaining, uh, entertaining and enjoyable wrestling for him. So that was a nice outing. Shuri Joe is just legitimately good. He, I'm okay with him popping up on tape more and more, whether it's the Ryukyu dragon twit casting shows, whether it's Dragon gate stuff, whether it's other promotions, I want more of him. I thought he was excellent this weekend. Yeah, and it was something that usually, like, I mean, the bigger reason why I say, like, they don't feel plugged in here. Like, it, it, if you keep track of Dragon Gate and how they book, and you just kind of just pay attention to it, you could tell, like, Korokens and, like, the Fukuoka shows that usually, like, and it was even a case with Gurken Mask, that you could tell that this is, like, all right, out of continuity, booked in a certain place on the card. It makes a lot of sense there. And, yeah, Soki is someone that I think and I don't think I'm being very unfair when I say this case, out of everyone who regularly appears in Dragon Gate who's not a rookie, on the lower end, talent-wise, but him versus Shimizu, it was very 1995 WCW vibes going on in this building for that match, but I really enjoyed it. That, might have, that actually might have been my favorite match of the Dragon Dragon show, to be honest. I, I'm not going to push back against that. I, I liked the opener. I liked Susumu versus Gurkin Mask a lot. There's a lot of Gurkin Masks that I really liked on this weekend of shows. But yes, yeah, Soki versus Shimizu is one of those that I I would recommend. I think there were some good and some bad on that Dragon Dragon show. And Shimizu versus Soki would fall into the good category. Mike, do you have a low point of the weekend that you'd like to talk about? I mean, I I know I I think we're divergent. I think that the the show on the 18th is better than the show they had before the Dragon Dragon show, just because you could tell this was oh hey, a lot of us are wrestling again in like two hours. We're not going to go completely 
out on it. And I just felt like even for some some shows that were kind of out of continuity and they kept it kind of light, some of the stuff uh, had no reason to be as long as it was for the case of fan service. Like I enjoyed Hibiscus Me, Jackie Funky Kamei as like a tag team for like the first 10 minutes of it. And then there was like the random like stand-up comedy act between me and Ben K that was just like, all right, yes, this is kind of a fun show here, but really we're sp- we're spending this long on this for a triple eye poke. Okay. My time's not being valued at this moment. Yes. So that to me is the unequivocal low point of the weekend on that Dragon Dragon show, the Jackie Funky Kamei and Hibiscus Me match versus what was that Yamato and Ben K were that I don't have that pulled up. Were they the opponents yeah. there? Yeah, this was a long match that w- there was attempted comedy that didn't land. I thought it was a poor use of Kamei, who had been pretty fun up to that weekend. It did. And this is where we'll dive back into pop culture, because I would like your thoughts on this very polarizing figure. Hibiscus Me and Jackie Funky Kamei together did give off Machine Gun Kelly and Willow Smith emo girl vibes. I would love to know your thoughts on Machine Gun Kelly as an entity. Well, Machine Gun Kelly, of course, important entity, if only for his appearance in Jackass Forever. Yes. You know, this year. So, I mean, he's having a bit of a moment, I feel like. Like, this is a guy who just, like, I, I, I'll admit, like, I aged out of popular music pretty much when I was born. So, like, it's not like a, that, that <laughs> like, I should be used as a barometer. I mean, case uh, on your art school album show, I had you talk about an album that was that was released before you were born. So I, I'm not the targeted uh, demographic for this. But Machine Congelli between this and the Megan Fox stuff and and the fact that he proclaimed that he was weed having a <laughs> bit of a moment here. And I have to say, uh doesn't seem like a toxic entity out there and i kind of welcome at least we need some some people out there not necessarily playing the the fool or the clown but but it's important to have some some kinds of just ridiculous characters out there and machine gun kelly is doing a good job of that the problem with this show is that you and i are such rational and thought out individuals that we don't argue enough. That is my exact take on Machine Gun Kelly. Now, is my does my boss, who is a 35-year-old man, does he idolize Machine Gun Kelly? Yes, he does. So I... Uh, have oh, I have l- questions now. I, I have a lot of questions about your boss. <laughs> I, can't, like, I can't talk about that. <laughs> 35-year-old idolizes Machine Gun yeah. Kelly. At, at the very least, did the guy... How many times did the guy say sick when he found out that Machine Gun Kelly was with Megan Fox? I uh, a lot. It's it's a lot. But right. I have yeah, learned figure. I have learned to appreciate Machine Gun Kelly because I agree. I think he's a fun guy to have around. I don't totally understand the the visceral hate that he gets because I think he's a really funny guy. Now, as somebody that works in popular music, let me just tell you that MGK's moment is over. Uh, the new album that he put out did not do very well i think it i think it went to number one the first weekend it was out and then it cratered ever since so he is very much so on the downswing of his moment but he he benefited from covid he was one of the few people like him and phoebe bridgers oddly enough were the two musicians that entered covid at a certain point and let's say left covid by the time vaccines were widely available april of 2021 were 
unarguably more popular than they were in March of 2020. That's a strange list to be on of Machine Gun Kelly and Phoebe Bridgers, but those were the two that for sure raised their profile. I think he's a funny, wacky guy. I would love to know what Jackie Funky Kamei thinks of Machine Gun Kelly. That was uh, all I wanted to say about him and Hibiscus Me teaming. What'd you think about Kamei playing heel there? Because I thought that was kind of interesting. As the Kamei guy, I was like, oh, okay. That like you're kind of doing a little bit of like a Hulk cackling minion kind of vibe here, but I wasn't completely put off about Kamei as a heel as like foreshadowing years down the line. So we were talking right before we went on the air today about how we never remember what we say, just because you and I both are involved in so much audio that it's really hard to remember your takes. I do remember us kicking around the idea of Kamei being a heel at some point in his career at some point in time. This might've been like an October, 2020 discussion, but you sold me on the idea that this guy can be a successful heel at some point. And I do think you're exactly right. The The archetype there is whatever BB Hulk did. Now, is, is Kamei going to have those vicious strikes that Hulk had that really helped him when he initially turned heel? No, he's not. But I trust that Kamei will hit a point where he is talented enough to leverage something in his offensive arsenal to uh, embolden that heel character. Because you're right, there's a natural charisma there for as amazing of a babyface as he is. I mean, he is such a top-notch underdog there is heel potential there as well and that's something that i'm not ready to explore by any means i don't know if i'll be ready to explore that by 2025 but there is going to be a point where i'm ready for that and i do think he'll be able to deliver in that spot yeah that was just kind of like the positive takeaway i had about that tag match uh, on this show um negatives for you did you have a big negative from the weekend yeah, I'll give you a negative and then I will give you a positive because they happened uh, nearly back to back on one of the shows on the June 19th afternoon show, that Drangate show. The first half of that show, I adored. I thought the first half was so much fun, but then intermission happened and we came back from intermission and there was a tag match of BB Hulk and Hyo versus Benkei and Yamato. And this is one of the weakest Drangate matches I have seen all year. 12 minutes of absolutely nothing. If it was a week where we were reviewing these shows match by match, we would gloss over this quickly. But because we're doing this format, I feel the need to mention that this was an absolute waste of time and completely skippable, even if you're a completionist pervert. Yeah, this match was my worst match of the weekend, but it it, it was it was bad. It, it, it was not a bad match. It just was. Something unique to Dragon Gate, like the, there's a level of consistency that you kind of expect, and this match did not do anything but hit that level of consistency, and it just was doing the exact same things that, like, I know for sure that, you know, th- this exact combination of high-end and Zebrats probably has not happened, just because of how new Zebrats is. It takes time to cycle through that. But spiritually, I felt like I've seen this match like 20 times before. And it was like one of the longest 12 minutes because it was almost like being able to name every single uh, Pentagon Jr. move one by one. You could kind of tell where they're going to in this match and it just made it drag. Can I talk about something positive on this show? Yeah, give me some good vibe. If you're a pervert and you are messed up in the head and you like the kind of wrestling that Mike Spears and I like talking about, 
boy, do I have a match for you on this 619 afternoon show. Gurken Mask and Ata versus Dragon Kid and Sachi Hoko Boy was some tricked out Lutaresu goodness. And my high point of the weekend is Shisa Boy slash Sachi Hoko Boy. I thought he crushed it in both of his matches. A super fun guy to watch. Two really fun outings. Two really fun, I don't know if grappling intensive is the right word, but certainly more Lucharesu or really almost leaning into Yave a little bit than the traditional Drangate tag match. In terms of what I enjoyed most, maybe not the best match of the weekend, but the match that I popped for the most, it was A10 Gurkin Mask versus Shisa Boy and Dragon Kid. Uh, what one thing because of this match that I popped for, uh, Gurkin Mask got his entrance every single match. Like, As he should have, he's the Don of Okinawa. Yeah, like this really felt like it was a celebration of Gurken Mask throughout the weekend. And let me tell you, Gurken Drive, sneaky great Dragon Gate theme song that they made for Gurken Mask. Sneaky great theme song. And just the amount that, that we got to hear it with that. Because like Ata comes out to his theme music too. So it's like, okay, I could fast forward this for two minutes. Or I could sit here and clap along to Gurken Drive, and then overdrive the Mirage, and I think that's what I'm going to spend my time for the next 90 seconds as my dog looks on at me quizzically. I have a lot of notes on this match, and very few of them mention Dragon Kid or Ata. This is a Shisa Boy versus Gurken, basically hybrid singles match, because they did so much good stuff here. There's a sequence where Shisa Boy does rolling Lamahi straws on Gurken Mask, which is a move that I didn't really know you could roll into time after time. I thought that was incredibly creative. There's a huge lariat spot with those two where Gurken Mask comes out on top, and then he eventually wins with a gnarly-looking Gurken driver on Shisa Boy. This is fun. This is a match that could have fit in on a T2P show. This, to me, was the physical embodiment of what this weekend is. It was just good vibes. It was fun. I thought Gurkin Mask between this, the six man on the first show, and then what I thought was a really fun, albeit at times goofy, singles match with Susumu on the Dragon Dragon show. Gurkin Mask had quite the little weekend here, and he's going to be at Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival, which is fantastic news for us. I I put it out in the universe. I'm going to put it out here again. Special singles match of night two, so we can get the Ultimo match already in. So, so you, you, you've already got your purpose with the guy. But special singles match, night two of Kobe World. Gorkin Mass representing Ryukyu Dragon Pro Wrestling versus El Hio Del Santo representing Toto Sex Gorkin Mask and Shuri Joe are legitimately better than a lot of people I see in some of the conglomerate promotions at this point. Oh my god, I mean even in the New Japan Junior Division and they've done a good job of replenishing the pond with some some foreigners but if you look at just the pure Japanese New Japan Junior Heavyweight Division Gurkin Mask and Shuri Joe would be deserving of a push I mean it's a shame New Japan didn't use them in 2020 and 2021 when that roster was so thin because again you know Gurkin Mask is always fun like I don't ironically like him. I think he's legitimately awesome. And Shuri Joe, in my mind, has always been the guy that is also there. But after these past two weekends, I'm 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 contemplating life going, do I need to reevaluate my stance on Shuri Joe? Is this a better junior heavyweight than I once Case, gave him credit he, for? He, uh, yeah, you know, I was early on Shuri Joe. 
notoriously I, in the same yeah. way i was early on al lindeman you were early on shuri, early joe. On shuri this joe. Is, this exactly. is this is how it goes <laughs> and you have to say there's something charming about like his rough house kind of style it's great it's really it's really fun to watch it's different it's different and like you see him and you're like you he comes out in his hoodie and his t-shirt and you're like all right who is this geek and then he goes out there and kills it in the twin ryu tag team title match you know i mean it, it, it does he still have a mask that looks exactly like kendo kashin yes but is it something that I think he pulls off better than Kendo Kishin? Yes. I I have that take in my holster. And it's not like I don't think deep Puro nerds listen to this podcast. I think they just make fun of me behind my back. But I didn't want to give the Shuri Joe is better than Kendo Kishin take just because God forbid the wrong person hears it. That's going to be a very long week for me. Thank you for stepping on that landmine. Thank you for putting that out there. Please direct all complaints to at Fujiheya, two eyes like Don Fuji on Twitter. Although I completely co-sign everything you just said. But I, I, I thank you, by the way. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it means a lot. Always nice to meet a fan. <laughs> uh, y- Yoshi's uh, Gooch is going to be in my mentions nonstop now. I don't know why I always go for Yoshi, but I always do for that. Can I can I throw one more thing at you from this Okinawa weekend? One more thought that I have? Yeah, please do. Jason Lee took the fall in both of his matches this weekend because he was not on the Dragon Dragon show, but he was on the two Drangate proper shows. This is uh, beginning a pattern of Jason Lee taking falls and matches that he's been in since his concussion return. He took a bunch of falls in Fukuoka the prior weekend as well. Do we make anything of that? Do you feel hot or cold one way or another? You know, I actually had to consult my notes to check to make sure Jason lost those matches. Was the fall in those matches? Uh, I mean, I don't. Uh, Long term, not worried. I think this is also, in a way, this they they do this when people come back to injury from injuries and concussions i feel like i just feel like that jason was in such a prominent position right before or, or dirt right up to the fact where he suffered the concussion i think that's why it was kind of suitable because that first loss that was directly to kagatora kagatora they used that to build up that uh tag match on the dragon dragon show How, uh, the gold class one i don't know uh yeah, I, I guess since Shimizu's, or not Shimizu, since Strong Machine J is more recent, that's why Jason takes the fall. Exactly. I, I, that's that's where I'm at. Somebody has to take the fall right now with Jason Lee. I don't make anything of it, but you're a smarter man than I am. Wanted to run that by you and see if you had any opinions on it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not super plus, I guess I'd say about this. Yeah, actually, you know you know what I am very plus about, Case? What's I was that? Extre- extremely plus. I, I, I know that there was... There, there, there was a COVID situation. I don't know specifics. I just saw that people were saying, like, oh, yeah, there was a COVID situation. Don't know. The company hasn't said anything. I just, the the Ryukyu, the Dragon Dragon show, I think that there was, like, issues within the Ryukyu Dragon locker room. But I was a little bummed that, like, like Jason was not on the show. Strong Machine J was not on the show. Uh, and, like, Z-Bratz, it made sense why Z-Bratz wasn't. But, like... You, you know, this weekend, you know, it's a vacation weekend. They're, they're taking the people that count. Shisa boy comes because uh, Shisa, the, the Shisa family is supposed to represent the Ryukyu dragon. So that's why that gimmick came back this weekend. 
But, you know, it was just something that kind of like hit me during the Dragon Dragon show. I was like, oh, yeah, no D Courage on this thing. No Jason Lee on this. And that, that made me a little bit bummed out. But then, you know, I mean, they basically did Ryukyu Dragon versus Dragon Gate in each one of these matches. And maybe there just weren't enough people uh, on short notice on that Ryukyu Dragon set. I see your point, but it's hard for me to complain about a four-match show when this is the second weekend in a row we've had to watch three Dragon Gate shows. So, that's fair. I, I can live with it. That's fair. And yeah, no, I'm flipping through my notes. Uh, don't really have too, too many other thoughts about the weekend in Okinawa. That was it for their live show on the network uh, run of, until, I believe, do they have a show before the Corkin show? Yeah, yeah, they do. They have like a full loop before Cork in, in July, right? Uh, so they've got some house shows towards the end of June. They'll be back in Aichi for the Hyo homecoming show uh, and then a another homecoming show of SB Kento and Yuchi at the end of June. And then the next Gate Network show we'll get is July 3rd, Kobe Sambo Hall, a few days before the July 7th Cork and Hall show. So, oh yeah. Uh, do you have any big take about this Brave Gate match that came out of this weekend? So in, in Toyoyashi, the hometown of uh, Hyo, he's going to be challenging Dragon Daya. I assume that will be as a digest or director's commentary coming soon. I, I don't have any major thoughts. I think Daya will retain. This is going to be Dragon Daya versus Hyo on the June 25th show, that Hyo homecoming. I think it's going to be a fun match. I think those guys have fun chemistry. I expect Daya to retain, and I would be very surprised if Hyo wins. Yeah, I wonder if eventually they're going to have one of the homecoming uh, challenges win just to keep people on their toes a little bit because it seems like something they'll do eventually. What would you put the uh, percentage chance of Hyo winning this match at? Here, I would put it uh, 15%. Not very good. It's it's Hyo, so I can never be that low on it. I always have to go, well, 30, 40% chance he could win. It It is the big brain after all. Yeah, and the only thing that's really stopping me from going much higher than 15% is just the fact that Kobe World's around and they're going to have to do something with the Brave Gate at Kobe World and I don't think Hyo really having a less than or just over a one-month title run makes much sense at this time. I think I, I, I'm completely with you. I think Daya will look very good, uh, very strong heading into Kobe World with that belt around his waist. I would hope that he keeps it, but it's Hyo and him with any title is always an interesting predicament to find ourselves in. Indeed. So uh, that does it, at least for the reviews. We will be back with more reviews for that. We're going to figure out what the situation will be for next week's show. But case we had a couple uh, just straight topics we wanted to cover before we got out of here this week including the uh, 20th anniversary of Total Nonstop Action, Impact Wrestling, who has a very interesting history with Dragon Gate outside of the match that everyone knows. Yeah, so I I was so impressed with the work that the You've Got to Be Kidding Me pod that is on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network, Garrett Kidney's baby. I've been so impressed with the work they've done since their launch, TNA Impact, whatever it is, celebrated 20 years this week. And in a weird way, one of the most iconic Impact matches of all time is Dragon Gate related. And at the very least, I thought it was worth mentioning that if for some reason you're listening to this show 
and you haven't seen Speed Muscle versus the Motor City Machine Guns, you need to stop what you're doing and watch that match right now. Yeah, it's one of those great all-time TV matches and also great all-time under 10-minute matches with it. And I just think it's so interesting, this 2008-2009 period was for Dragon Gate in the United States because this was something that just time frame wise for Dragon Gate, the Ring of Honor relationship is dead. And they're kind of, in a way, uh, the lead up to GG USA and like bridging it to that. And Impact was kind of one of the big things they did in the meantime to kind of still keep their name out there. And I don't think there's much argument there that this tag team match is probably the, the one match that's been seen most by Western audiences out of anything in the Dragon. Yeah, it's either this or Blood Generation versus Doofix or uh, 331.06, which I think that match has the greater legacy, but I think more people have seen the Guns versus Speed Muscle. And, you know, it's a, it's an interesting match to look back on just with a little bit of history that we have because Doi really likes American wrestling. And after this match, my understanding is, and this is from the Young Bucks telling uh, their account because they were close with Speed Muscle for a while, that TNA had offered... Doi and Yoshino a deal and that Doi really wanted to take the deal, but he was too loyal to Drangate. And it's at the end of 2008, about six months later, where they put the Dreamgate belt on him. And he has that first, you know, certainly not a successful, maybe not an abysmal failure, but that first Dreamgate run, that's a little clunky. And then by 2011, 2012, he becomes, you know, a legend, a, a big six that has all grown up uh, with him and Shingo and Yamato and Yoshino and Tozawa and Hulk. So from that standpoint it's really interesting there's sort of a flashpoint moment here where if Doi is less loyal to dragon gate he leaves after this match or he leaves at some point in the fall of 2008 and it obviously wouldn't have worked out well for him because of the creative that was in place there but it's also i i don't know i don't understand people that run wrestling because i don't know how you could watch the guns versus speed muscle and not go oh that's what wrestling should be yeah it it's something and it's just coming to me right now okay so i'm not really filtering or condensing this it's something that and i think this guns versus speed muscle match is surely indicative of you say like a flashpoint it's something that i feel like within dragon system history there are these moments that really could have been like an explosion uh, like on a scale that we did not see with the Dragon System stuff when you talk about 331.06, as influential as it was, probably as influential just because exposure-wise, you have the tag match, you have the fact that that, that uh, Bischoff and Toriumon were going to be were linked up in 2000 if that happens. Like, there's, there, there's real sliding doors that happen because of this. Like, what would happen if... Because it, it's not just, like, Naruki Doi being loyal, it's that Masato Yoshino had no interest if either of those things change i think we're looking at dragon gate's completely different if speed muscle takes that contract like just immeasurably yeah i i think about this a lot i think of and not only bischoff failing just because wcw died failing to get that torimon relationship which there's an interview with him in march of 2001 where he's talking about how he's planning on going to japan to sit down with ultimo dragon and from there, you know, the cruiserweight division was going to have their own booker, John Muse, and he was going to book those Toriumon guys. That was supposed to be now any wrestling promotion that's ever had a relationship with Eric Bischoff. 
always on the table is to restart the cruiserweight division or restart the X division. So I don't know what Torimon and WCW would have looked like, but God knows I would have liked to have seen it. You obviously have the TNA stuff here where they have the infamous match with guns and speed muscle, but then they also reunite the Italian connection. And I know I talked about this match with Alan Farrell a little bit ago, but Mike, are you familiar with the, it is a uh, four team that gauntlet with, match, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's, yeah. it's Shelly Saban and Curry man versus Alex Kozlov, Doug Williams and Tyson Dukes versus Masato Yoshino, Milano collection, AT and Puma versus Averno, Ray Bucanero and Ultimo Guerrero. Have you seen this match? Yeah, it, it, it's really a time capsule match, like especially like that Mexico side because Bucanero and Guerrero were such a good tag team for so long, and Averno being like the career rival of Mystico, I'm like, yep, nope, that sounds about right for that time. But like that match, just because it's just kind of insane, the pace they work throughout it, it it it, it slept on in comparison to the tag match, but it's something special in its own right. It's basically a Dragon Gate tag match that opens up a TNA pay-per-view that is headlined by Samoa Joe versus Booker T. It's such a strange match, and it's so much better than the... They do an Ultimate X match later on in that show. It's Volador, Davari, Kazarian, and Naruki Doi, and I don't like that match that much, but the gauntlet tag that starts Victory Road 2008 is another one of those, like, oh my god, if you haven't seen this, it's just a Dragon Gate match, because it's, it's Shelly and... Daniels and TJ Perkins started to unmask all these guys. And then, you know, Bucanero and Ultimo Guerrero, it's guys who can work that style and Doug Williams to a degree. It's guys who can work that style and they were given the opportunity to do so. And again, with what I like, obviously doing this podcast, I don't know how you watch a match like that and think like, oh, that was fine. On to the next thing. To me, that is what wrestling should look like. But I digress. But you not only have the failed WCW relationship, the all too brief TNA relationship, but in this can be used to transition to our final topic if we want it to be the fact that court bauer for 20 years has been trying to book dragon gate guys dating back to 2003 torimon and it looks like he's finally going to do so in booking la estrella this week yeah so they're in mexico there, there was a little bit of a hope that they were going to appear on a show last week but didn't pop up there but yeah, but but they're it, working. They I don't know where I haven't been able to find any full matches, but they, both Fujiwara and Australia are doing Mexican indies right now. Just nothing that I've seen pop up on YouTube. But if you follow La Australia on Instagram, even though he's an alien, he's very well versed on in Instagram, and he's been posting a lot of footage of him in Mexico and footage of him and Fujiwara wrestling in Mexico. Which I posted that video to the Open the Voice Gate Twitter, so you can see a brief high spot of Estrella doing a suicide dive and then Fujiwara doing a Cape Rana to the floor. So they're wrestling just nowhere that we've been able to find in full. Once I find that stuff, I'll post it on Twitter. Yeah, uh, it, it's something that luckily with the stuff that it seems like that that they have been uh announced for that I've seen them on it it is something that like eventually stuff will emerge there like this is not 2020 the peak of the pandemic where there wasn't a whole lot of options out there so you get like the outdoor DTU show with Yuki Yoshioka that ends up like what like that he like takes a bump into like a it looks like a uh motocross bump did you see this thing that happened uh, yeah when, i that's yeah. funny i have a vivid i i could totally picture what it is you're talking about but i don't know what the substance was that he fell into it's like he fell into like a pile of mulch basically 
Right. Yeah. So it, it it's something that uh we will especially like if only they started having these matches that made tape already case, you know, like that, that would make, that'd make next week a little bit easier for us, but it, it's going to be a fun thing to track. I think Estrella and MLW, we talked about it last week, at least like that was something, I think it's a good fit for him. I think that he'll get some stuff out of it. And it's something that, you know, these guys, you know, Estrella, we now know definitively can work in the States. People should book them. Yeah, have you seen Takuma Fujiwara's new look that he's sporting in Mexico? I've only seen photos. Like, did he get a haircut or, like, he finally trim it up? Like, that was the one thing I've been trying to pick out. So he got a haircut. So if you go to the VoiceGate Twitter, uh, you can see a pretty good image of what he's working with now. He shaved the sides of his head. He still got pretty long on top. But he has also changed his in-ring gear, and he is now wrestling in what appears to be Rottweiler's era low-key gear. And I am all for Takuma Fujiwara embracing low-key in as many ways as possible. All right, I, I'm now looking at this. Yeah, you, you know, I, I it, it, it works well for him. I, it's much better than, like, the random workout shorts that T-Hawk had on his excursion. <laughs> that, that was the worst. <laughs> like, it looked like it was, like, a free pair of of shorts he got when he took a free Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu class. And he wore that as like ring gear, like on Dragon Gate USA shows, he's wearing it. It's awful. So yeah, no, I like this for Fujiwara. I think that works pretty well for him, right? I like that Australia has already started wearing cutoff t-shirts on his excursion there. He posted a photo of him. It's super crazy on Instagram a few nights ago. And I don't know if this was crazy. He's doing of like, look, your body doesn't matter. Throw on a t-shirt. Nobody cares. It, he went like you think of all these excursion sorts of guys getting the best shape of their life and doing this great work and getting, you know, fine tuned to come back to Japan to be a star. Australia's worked like four matches in Mexico and he's already wearing a t-shirt when he's wrestling, which is just a sight to behold. Hey, uh, n- n- not to further make fun of Yuki Oshioka's uh, excursion. Sometimes guys just, you know, they're not necessarily concerned about being body guys on excursion. And Australia, I mean, <laughs> he was concerned about not dying on excursion. He was That's in, true. He was in Mexico at the start of COVID. I don't blame him for not being as trim as he could possibly be. I, I, I mean, he, he course corrected very well. Yes. No, it, mean, it worked out for him, didn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, but it, it, it's something that I think that. It, it, I, I think Fujiwara, like deciding to like take that step, is a really good thing for him. Like just delineate, like this is how I was before. This is how I am in an excursion. And just seeing like a willingness to shake it up, I think, is something that that's showing some creativity. I like that out of. Since I compared him to Loki earlier, can I talk about Loki for a second? I'm out of Dragon System thoughts on this episode, but I have a big picture <laughs> wrestling thought. Well, well, well it's going to involve Loki, so I'm intrigued. So, what you got? I have long said that I wish wrestling had more people like Loki in it. I would rather have a locker room full of Lokis than a locker room full of, and I will reference the guy that I read an interview with today that for some reason annoyed me to no end. I'd rather have a locker room full of Lokis than a locker room full of Effies. Did you see what he said about his match with Jeff Jarrett today? Oh, that Effie got worked in the middle of the match, so Effie got the full experience. Yes. I don't know why this annoyed me so much. I mean, look, I hate Game Changer. 
I think they're garbage. I'm I no one has a more annoying presence online to me right now than Joey Janela. He's white trash. He's annoying. He very clearly got exposed for being in over his head in AEW. I don't think he offers anything exciting to the current wrestling scene. I thought the the flaming super kick spot was exactly why we need to not promote his overall activity. I think wrestling is going to be so much better off when there's a viable U.S. indie that overtakes GCW as the number one. I wish it was West Coast Pro Wrestling. I think they do a great job. Unfortunately, even though the hype has died down because people watched that Hammerstein show and saw the rinky-dink operation that this was, I still don't know if there was an indie that has quite the public profile that GCW does. But reading this interview with Effie, where he's bragging about his match with Jeff Jarrett and how it was just like it was Memphis and how he no-sold this guitar shot and he had never seen anybody do that. And he took this bump on the stroke, which he had never seen anybody do. And then I don't know if he's implying that Jarrett double-crossed him or just that he said, this doesn't work for me, brother. I'm not losing it earlier in the day. I don't know what it is. All I know is that, is that if it was Loki, he would have kicked Jeff Jarrett in the mouth. And to me, that's far more entertaining than whatever circle jerk is happening at GCW. I cannot stand the culture that they cultivate. I do not like it at all. And that Effie interview pissed me off when I read it today. Yeah, I, I, I saw the that clip there and I was like, oh, Jeff Jarrett worked me. I feel like it's a badge of honor. I was like, yeah, it, because you think it's a badge of honor, Jeff Jarrett gets away with it. And you're giving him more power. And for an outside observer, I find it very funny that you're not recognized. The fact that you got worked is a good thing. You think it's a good thing when it's a bad thing. But on the other hand, I'm like, oh, Jeff Jarrett could probably go work more people. And that amuses me greatly. And I wish he was able to take more money from Brett Lauderdale. Yeah, I, I look, I, I would love to see, a, a, you know, another wrestler be able to bleed Brett dry just because I think it's it's a net negative in the wrestling scene. You could say, oh, it's a place for guys to work, but I don't know if I want these guys working. I think they're just uh, largely a waste of uh, a waste of time. I thought it was very funny that uh, David Bixenspan, who I have a positive relationship with other than the way that he covers GCW, which I think is totally absurd. And I like Bix. I'm not picking on him. This I'm not the only person that has said this, that the way Bix treats GCW is very differently than he treats anything else. Oh, 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 so, so we're going to talk about this on air. Oh, I got takes on this. Okay. I just found it to be so funny that Bix tweeted over the weekend about how, uh, I, let me see if I can find the exact quote. He tweets too much. I'm not going to be able to find it in time. Just, oh, 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 that dumb image meme? No, no, no. <laughs> Fucking shit. That's got to stop. That's, that's the worst online trend there's ever been, and none of those are ever any good. It. You can't mute it. It's never any good, and since there's like no real phrase, you can't mute it and like go ahead and, and tweet about it. I don't care, but now, because there's tools there that should prevent me from seeing it, no, you can't. You can't mute this gift. <laughs> you can't mute this. It's really I hate bad. It. It's but, awful case. But Bick said uh, the increasing reliance on random lucha trios matches is low-key the best thing about gcw right now which is a crazy way of just admitting that the lucha what doors a are backhanded the, compliment <laughs> yeah, the, yes when you bring in good luchadors they have good matches compared to the yarders that you otherwise book you're right that is low-key the best thing about gcw right now why do you think that like i was like oh i think mlw is better for la Australia than other opportunities like god 
Like, but, but but I'm so annoyed, and we talked about this the last time Jay was on the show because Jay's exactly right. The only way to replicate a 33106 or to a smaller scale guns versus speed muscle is to book them on GCW. It's not going to happen through MLW because partially because of the whiplash I get every time I turn on MLW because it is such a different planet than anything else that is going on right now. But it's going to take shining bright on one of these shows to get that next fan. I always talk about, I don't know what Dragon Gate has to do to appeal to the people that primarily get their wrestling news from Reddit. Unfortunately, I think having a good match on a GCW show is probably the most efficient way to do that. Yeah, no, no, you're you're undoubtedly right. It's just one of those things. I think long term, you know, like who's to say that the match takes off like that? Like get put them in a better scenario against better wrestlers and then get better stuff out of it long term. But, I would but, I would hope that the folks at West Coast Pro can make a run at Fujiwara and Estrella, and I, I think they've booked Ultimo before. If they haven't, that certainly seems like something they'd do at some point. That is where I would like to see them, because that's a good crowd. It's a respectful crowd. They responded really well to, uh, to uh, Takeshita. Obviously, his match with Mike Bailey was great. I would love to see if Fujiwara can work in America, put Fujiwara there. Estrella obviously is going to be in America. I would love to see him there. That is my hope that that indie, at least among people where I, I consider them to be tastemakers and I value their opinion and I try to watch what they pimp out. There's a lot of West Coast pro wrestling stuff that I've really enjoyed this year. And I think they would be great fits there. And I, I hope that happens. I, it's unfortunate that again, this, this is my issue with GCW is, Again, if Dragon Gate's going to shine, they have to go through that path, and I just don't want that because I I think as a as a whole, GCW is a net negative for wrestling. You won't hear any disagreement from me on that point. <laughs> yeah, no, it it just seems like with I I wonder what the next innovation is going to be to get us out of this current era. Like, and, and when I say innovation era, I'm thinking about how up until basically. Dragon Gate USA and Ring of Honor in 2010, the iPay-Per-View was just not a thing that existed. And now we are at a point where it's streaming our iPay-Per-Views really for exposure. Then you have the tickets and merch at the venue here. And I'm wondering what's the next thing right now. And I guess that's that's the thing that popped in my head because it's like, I sure wish whatever promotion is on the flashpoint, the next way of watching shows. I hope that the ne- that whatever it is is a lot better promotion to gcw because that that that's the thing it's like oh yeah gcw has kind of maximized this ecosystem in a way that that you're right like that is the flashpoint yeah i i was thinking a lot this past week and again the answer to this problem is not to just steal lucha culture but i was thinking back to that galley show that i went to that an ultimo wanted a few months ago And just how rich and vibrant that experience was and how different that was than any U.S. indie show that I've been to, whether it's a super indie or a local indie, they all feel the same. And with the talent pool not being what it is, this seems like the time for the indie scene to reinvent what their shows are. And unfortunately, I think to some degree, GCW has done that. It's just not what I want from wrestling because it's so laid back and lazy and you know in a lot of ways the antithesis of what Drangate is it's not professional and and it's a yeah. bummer that we've gone in that direction instead of really trying to make the most of what little you have like a galley lucha libre show where again that 
I'll I'll never forget being in that crowd. That was a very fine show, but I had the time of my life just sitting there and watching these people live and die by every single pinfall. It It was wonderful. And that's what I would have liked to have seen over the past year and a half. The, the Indies really gravitate towards is finding a new way to present these shows, but everything is in one way or another, just a recycled version of whatever ring of honor was doing in 2002. And for 20 years, we've been in this never ending cycle of this is what indie wrestling looks like. Yeah. And it's something with like GCW, they take the laid back thing to their production side, which for me, personally is anathema like I <laughs> you, just, you don't like kevin gill telling you to suck his cock when you're watching a professional wrestling show and, and, and i also love watching poorly lit rings that you know you don't bother even getting like a construction light kit to light well you know? uh, well unfortunately mike we did do a drangit usa rewind and rewatch yeah. series so i can't i don't have any ground to stand on there but lenny leonard both personally and professionally has never told me to suck it and that is a huge plus. Yeah. So like you, you talked about the galley show and about like that. I think the thing that you, I, I, I think because I had a similar experience, it wasn't with like a Lucha Libre show. It was basically a, it was a big time show that was straight out of 1985 uh, Jim Crockett promotions. And it felt like a different thing. It, it, it was an experience that like, I was like, Oh, since I was present here and I was physically here, I was able to like, taken that experience which was similar in the way that you were able to take in that galley experience i just don't know how you translate that over a screen though and i think that's the issue there with like those because i think you're right though like the experience is something that you that has just been trot out now and has been overdone and you, you know we had like little things like riptide that like put some thought into things that i was interested not if if not because of like the wrestling, I was interested, like they're doing something different there. And I would sure like Dragon Gate to be in the promotion that's doing something there versus, you know, uh, using a mixer that sounds like is straight out of the pile at a, uh, at a high school AV club, you know? Well, Takuma Fujiwara is dressing like low key and that's how we got here. And that's all I have this week. Yeah, that's all we have for this week. Uh, keep keep your eyes peeled on Open VoiceGate Twitter. We will talk about what the programming plans will be going on. At the very least, we'll be back for the live shows are coming in July. We're just trying to figure out what's going on next week. Uh, case is at Twitter at underscore in your case. I'm at Fujiheya. Thanks for listening to Open the VoiceGate. We'll be back with you next time talking more about Dragon Gate. Take care.